0: this big, boisterous, brawling, intemperate, striving, daring, daring, beautiful, bountiful, brave, magnificent, magnificent country. With all our flaws, all our mistakes, with all the frailties of human nature, as much on display as our virtues, with all the rancor and anger of our politics, we are blessed. We are living in the land of the free, the land where anything is possible the land of the immigrant's dream, the land with the storied past forgotten in the rush to the imagined future, the land that repairs and reinvents itself, the land where a person can escape the consequences of a self-centered youth and know the satisfaction of sacrificing for an ideal, the land where you can go from aimless rebellion to a noble cause and from the bottom of your class your party's nomination for
1: president talking about himself there that's good stuff that's, that's a beautiful speech right there that is really eloquent
2: yeah i like that the uh country that uh, can reinvent itself and repair itself and repair itself yeah that's good stuff right uh we have more here this is good it leads up to something we're gonna mock as we have mocked early in the program well but mm. i don't want to miss the eloquence of uh the the, the message he was trying to get out as he is, he knows, as he said on 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago, he's coming to the end of the road here. As a guy who's been serving his nation for a, a long time. Um, you're not planning to mock or you are going to mock?
1: Well, I, I think it would seriously throw the universe out of kilter if we didn't have a chuckle at what the uh, the esteemed senator said.
2: Okay. It is too much. Can we enjoy the build-up, the lead-up, the eloquence, the patriotism before we get to it? You can do whatever you want.
0: <laughs> Go ahead. This wondrous land has shared its treasures and ideals and shed the blood of its finest patriots to help another, to help make another better world. And as we did so, we made our own civilization more just, freer, more accomplished, and prosperous than the America that existed when I watched my father go off to war on December 7th, 1941. To fear the world we have organized and led the three quarters of a century, to abandon the ideals we have advanced around the globe, to refuse the obligations of international leadership, and our duty to remain the last best hope of Earth for the sake of some half-baked, spurious nationalism Cooked up up by by people who who would rather rather find scapegoats than solve problems.
2: Who is he
3: talking about?
0: Is as unpatriotic as an attachment to any other tired dogma. Of the, the past that Americans consigned
2: consign to the ash cheek the, the ash heap of
0: history yes he <laughs> what
2: it's a common phrase if you're not familiar with it uh, things being thrown on the ash heap of history or the the dustbin of history but he, he accidentally said ash cheeks of history is the problem <laughs> which is too bad because he was really he was really building hmm. to something there
1: wow <laughs> Wow, 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 wow. Gets to the big applause line and consigns it to the ass cheeks of history. Well,
2: it's not just like a flub, because that sucks too. (laughs) Right, right. But he actually said a different word that is hilarious. Right. (laughs) And I think should be the new standard for when we're talking about things in the past. Well, right. We
1: will be consigning things to the ass cheeks of history for the rest of our careers. I can guarantee you that. Ah, uh, that is hilariously unfortunate.
2: You know, there's some good stuff in there. Populism is often half-baked because it doesn't have like a, well, it doesn't have a well-formed, okay, what are we doing now, <clears> other <throat> right. than just, yeah, we hate what's currently happening. It's an appeal to emotionalism, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's needed, but and then the, it's often half-baked. The other part of that, um, uh, John McCain is getting a tremendous amount of uh, play with this speech. On all the the networks that hate Trump and hate Bannon, because that's who he's talking about there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bannon's ideology, and he's no Trump fan. John McCain has made that clear. Um, the problem I have with that is don't don't try to pretend like you're in favor of John McCain's fighting a war in every place on earth. Those of you who are are praising him for this on your on your lefty networks because you're not. Right, his his vision of Completely America's dishonest, yep. yeah, His his vision of America's leadership is going is fighting people in a lot of different countries. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Seems to have a never ending uh, patience for taking on new missions and, and challenges and that sort of stuff, which certainly could bring us to a discussion of uh, Kirk Cook in Iraq. We're going to talk to Mike Lyons a little bit later on in the hour about what is, and, and here's the honest truth about it, and and I think John McCain's wrong about a lot of stuff, honestly. Um, I have a great deal of respect for him. Um, he's a flawed human being like all of us, and I think he's wrong a lot of the time. Um, foreign policy often presents you with a handful of terrible choices and nothing else. And that's one thing populism always ignores. Um, and not taking any of those choices and just disengaging is often every bit as terrible a choice as the terrible choices you're rejecting. And so
2: and Barack yeah. Obama mostly did the we'll stay out of it, which is which is not not doing anything. Sure. Yeah. And and Donald Trump's doing the same thing. I,
1: I happen to think Barack Obama had absolutely terrible instincts on when to do stuff and when to not do stuff and practically went opposite of what was a good idea you know, during his foreign policy career. Um, But but, if you
2: you say you're going to stay out of the Syrian war, for instance, well, then you are on the side of the dictator decimating his population and and keeping control. If you say you're going to stay out of that, aren't you? Well, yeah, but
1: sins of omission are different than sins of commission. I mean, there's no obligation for the United States to get involved in everything. No. So in effect, you're right, but
2: you guys handle it, and and Donald, you all
1: handle it. And it's, th- Don- it's different.
2: Donald Trump said yesterday, "We're not going to take a side in Iraq versus the Kurds."
1: Well, here's here's where that's different than like the Syrian thing, because on a humanitarian level, the Syrian thing, you know, we were clearly called upon to a to. A, uh, you know, help defeat the unthinkably cruel and inhumane Assad regime, et cetera, et cetera, on a purely you know human level.
2: And back to McCain for just a second. A lot okay. of the people that are cheering McCain because he bashed Bannon there were you in favor of because McCain wanted to go full on crater their runways, establish a no-fly zone, get involved in their civil war. Everybody that's cheering the anti-Bannon McCain speech on MSNBC. Because he took a shot at Bannon and Trump. Were you in favor of that? Fully getting involved in the war in Syria. No, I don't, I don't no, think you were. No,
1: no. But the, here's the Kurd thing to me. And and again, series of awful choices. Oh, so you want to get involved in a no, I don't want to do any of this. I want it all to go away. I want to go to my little walled compound in the woods and watch the squirrels cavort and let humanity go to hell. That's what I want to do. He says, preemptively answering the snotty emails that are sure to come. Anyway, um, the Kurdish thing is, by not taking sides, we are allowing freaking Iran and the Kuds force and these uh, uh, Shiite militias to run roughshod over and slaughter our best, most loyal ally in the region who we have screwed multiple times now left them hanging out to dry or whatever we go run into the curbs and beg them for help but we only arm them a little bit cuz the turks will get mad and they fight bravely they they fight with us they fight our fights for us etc cetera, etc cetera. they perform amazingly well and then when iran comes and says yeah yeah but we want that city they're occupying we just let them get slaughtered that that's no way to that's no way to run a country there's no way to run a foreign policy. So what do we do? Get involved now and defend the Kurds against the Turks and the Syrians and the Iranians yeah. who are actually the Iraqis, et cetera, even et cetera? Even if we
2: wanted to do that, how would we do that? Well, we're going to ask Mike Lyons, our military strategist, later this hour. I look forward to asking that. Because even if we were going to come do the right thing, as you just described it, and come yes. to the Kurds' uh, support. So were we taking on Iraq, Are we well, fighting our own weapons that we gave them because we're trying to get Iraq established as a country? We're fighting the Iraqi army?
1: Yes. And Iran. Wow. And Syria. That'd be a heck of a and thing. And
2: probably Turkey. We would have troops in Iraq because we got people in Iraq right now. They might have to hold on for a second. They need to drive across the border, get on the other side, turn their tank around. Now I'm going to shoot back at you. Of course, if the Kurds had held off on that damned independence
1: referendum for a little while and let us uh, maybe work a few deals behind the scenes, that would have helped.
2: Can I have that tank back? I'm going to use it to shoot you now. That's what we'd have to say to various Iraqis. I thought you gave it to us. It was a loan. What? Yeah, well, we'll see who ends up on the ass cheeks of history when this is all (laughs) said and done. Way to lighten
1: it up, Sean.
2: (laughs) The ass cheeks of history. Way to lighten it up. That is the worst accident (laughs) in the history of speech.
1: George W. Bush took out the counterweight to Iran And now it's a puppet regime for Iran. Nice job, W.
2: And where will... Treated as liberators, huh? And where will the plan to invade Iraq end up? The ass cheeks of history. (laughs) (laughs) All right,
3: all right.
1: I'm with you, I'll admit it.
2: We will talk to Mike Lyons, our military analyst, about what we would do even if we wanted to help the Kurds, among other things coming up uh, a little bit later on the Armstrong and Getty Show. So... The hashtag Me Too is a, a deal. Hashtag Me Too movement, as a, lots of women are coming forward. Well, we did this ourselves, right? We took lots of stories from you who have had a Harvey Weinstein in your life. We got emails and texts and stuff, and hashtag Me Too. There's all kinds of people coming forward, women mostly, but some men uh, coming forward to the the scumbags that did this sort of thing, and um, so there's there's a lot of talk of. This is some sort of moment in history where we'll all decide that this is intolerable and it won't happen anymore. I hope that that's true. I wish that that were true. I doubt that that's true. Yeah.
1: know, little progress is all you can expect out of mankind in my uh, estimation. Maybe we'll make some.
2: Because there have been many times in the history of Hollywood, specifically where they have thought that they had unearthed this and it was going to go away and it always turns out to still be there. Is that right? Hollywood's horror stories of sex predators long before Weinstein. This is an interesting little uh, history of Hollywood, which Joe likes to call "Rapeywood." Wood. Hollywood producer Daryl F. Zanuck was legendary in the industry, but not just for the movies he made. Zanuck worked his way through actresses on the sofa in his office faster than the credits rolled on his flicks. Um, he's one of the big heavyweights in the history of Hollywood, if you're, if you're into that whole movie scene. His daily bedding of budding starlets operated like clockwork. At 4 p.m. every day, his Fox Century City studio would shut down (coughs) while Zanuck shuttled the young woman through a subterranean passage to his green-paneled office. Anyone in the studio knew of the afternoon get-togethers. He was not serious about any of the women. To him, they were merely pleasurable breaks in the day, like polo, lunch, or impractical jokes. They would actually shut down the studio at 4 o'clock in the afternoon for whichever latest starlet they were going to send in
1: for him so he could have a little break. I don't understand why they'd have to, but that's fine. (laughs) Y'all keep doing what you're doing. I'll be uh, busy for a while.
2: I think that's back in the early days, just from my knowledge of movies, that the the big heavyweights were always there. I mean, it was a very small shop. Mm -hmm. In 1937, Zanuck won the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences' first prestigious Thalberg Award for producing. It was the same decade that Variety first used the now ubiquitous term for the abuse of power that Zanuck and other Hollywood execs were perpetrating behind the scenes, the casting couch. Years later, in 1975, Newsweek would do a story story called The Casting Couch, in which it quoted the words on a plaque above the couch in the office of a Tinseltown producer in the 50s. Don't forget, darling, tomorrow you're going to be a star. The mag wrote, contemporary starlets no longer take sex on demand lying down. So there was a story in the 50s about the 30s, unearthing that and Mm -hmm. hoping that that was the end of it. Then a story in the 70s about the 50s and the 30s, uh, saying starlets are no longer going to put up with this. And now, of course, we got this story in 2017 about all the past years and know that it's still happening. But things didn't change then, and they haven't changed now. In the past two weeks alone, more than 30 women have come forward with stories of being propositioned, harassed, or worse, over the past three decades by Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Marilyn Monroe once famously wrote in a memoir about the sexual predators in her industry, and I had not heard this. I met them all, she said. Phoniness and failure were, were all over them. Some were vicious and crooked, but they were as near to the movies as you could get. So you sat with them listening to their lies and schemes, and you saw Hollywood with their eyes, an overcrowded brothel, a merry-go-round with beds for horses. Wow, that's some good writing. The great Marilyn Monroe. She should have done more writing. Movie moguls have preyed on the ambition of young hopefuls seemingly since the beginning of Celluloid. Actress jo- Joan Crawford, who got her start in the 20s by dancing naked in arcade peep shows. How did I not know that? Joan Crawford? Isn't that Dorothy? No, no. They, you're thinking
1: of, uh, what's her name? The other one. Judy, Judy Gar- Garland, Garland. Okay, I got him yeah. mixed up. Sorry. Joan Crawford. I
2: didn't want to picture Dorothy dancing, dancing naked at peep shows. Glad I don't have to. Or maybe I will for a second. Let me see if I like it.
1: Wait a second. In the Wizard of Oz, wasn't she? How old was she? Is Careful she, now. Is
2: she wearing the sparkling heels? In this scenario? What if she was 14 in well, that Well, then movie. that's not cool. Right. So shut up. Okay. All right. Obviously picturing an adult in this scenario. Surely. Of Actress course. Actress Joan Crawford, who got her start in the 20s by dancing naked in peep shows, only advanced her career by sleeping with every male star at MGM except Lassie, she once told <laughs> Betty Davis. Wow. Wow. <laughs>
1: That's that's some good sarcasm there. Oh,
4: my
2: God. Even at the peak of her career, rumors continued to surface about how her loathed mother forced Crawford to work as a prostitute, making blue movies and sleep her way to the top. As with Zanuck, the longtime head of 20th Century Fox, the preferred perverted method of doing business at MGM allegedly came straight from the top. Studio head Louis B. Mayer terrorized Hollywood's women long before Harvey Weinstein, according to uh, various stories. Mayor would direct a sixteen. Well, now, we're back to Judy Garland. Mayor would direct a sixteen-year-old Judy Garland to sit on his lap. Whereupon he palmed her left breast while telling, while telling her, "You sing from the heart." A creepy anecdote that Garland Oof. recalled in a memoir. Wow, wow
1: that is Oof. just unbelievable. that is creepy.
2: And these are all people that have giant buildings with their names on them. How about if you're into the whole tearing down history, making a middle school not be called? uh Robert E Lee Middle School how about you not have these giant buildings and awards and everything else or the Lynch school and yeah if Portland. you're going if you're going to do that <laughs> stuff how about Stupid. in hollywood you don't have these buildings and awards and magazines and and foundations and everything named after these known pervs they were men of their time jack you're engaging in presentism and it was okay back then an 11 year old in quotes an 11-year-old Shirley Temple got her first and she thought hilarious peek at the male anatomy, courtesy of MGM producer Arthur Freed, who once dropped his pants during a meeting. Temple burst into laughter at the sight and was promptly ordered out of the room. Dropped his pants in front of an 11-year-old? Now, is he trying to be funny or is he trying to show his genitals to an 11-year-old? I haven't
1: the slightest idea.
2: Marilyn Monroe was among those who allegedly suffered sexual abuse at the hands of other MGM handlers. In the 1950s, There's a valiant attempt to bring casting couch incidents out of the shadows and expose them for what they were, sex abuse. I'm using that tone of voice because it seems silly now that we know it's been going on for the past, well, at least 67 years since then. Um, A British magazine tried to expose the industry's seedy underbelly in a four-part series called The Perils of Show Business. Their stories were filled with the same type of on-the-record accounts of power-grabbing sexual harassment that Weinstein would be accused of 60 years later. This is the most depressing story we have ever written the reporters wrote for the magazine. For weeks, we have made our investigations over the lunch table in studios and from the depth of cozy armchairs. Gradually, we've built up a dossier of information which we believe is an ugly scar in the glamorous face of show business. Well,
1: I think it's important now to point out the obvious. If this stuff didn't work, if these studio people didn't find willing or semi-willing participants, they would stop doing it. There are... 5,000 times as, 50,000 times as many people, maybe 5 million times as many people who want to be a movie star, as there are roles for them to be a star in. Meritocracy gets you, okay, you're part of an audition of 10,000 people, whatever. Um, And so the free market searches for something else that can be exchanged. What else can you bring to the deal? How about sex? I'm not defending it I'm just saying the dynamics of the market from an economics point of view are pretty clearly defined you can see them
2: yeah I agree I it's you're a scumbag to do it but you're gonna have a lot of scumbags in these positions of power and they've got a hundred a 1, thousand hot chicks who can act to choose from and the scumbags are gonna make their you know they're gonna they're gonna make it clear look there's a thousand of you why do I choose you? And then eventually, over time, you become as forward, I guess, and as blunt about it as Harvey Weinstein. One more quick uh, anecdote here. Margaret Russell, who was a—I'm looking at this picture. She was a haughty actress at the time, I guess. Russell, who appeared in bit roles in movies in the 50s, said girls trying to break into the business would pass around a set of rules in the hopes of preventing unwanted sexual attacks. This is in the 50s. One, when you have to talk business, stick to offices and office hours. Two, refer invitations and offers to your agent. Three, don't give your home phone number to your—just give your agent's number. Blah, blah, blah. Don't go to their hotel room when they ask you all these different sorts of things. Exactly the same situation. Yeah, I've been saying that since the 50s. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Actress Joan Collins was warned by Marilyn Monroe about the wolves in Hollywood and uh, and ways to stay away from it. Elizabeth Taylor had the same problems. Any actress you can come up with has these stories. They got uh, Helen Mirren. Is that how you say her name? Yeah, she's brilliant. Um, On how she uh, was put in these positions and felt up and everything like that. It's the way it's always been. And still is up to today, unless somebody can convince me that it's not. Yeah. So what's the takeaway? Because I can,
1: you know, I I hear people's objections. You know, I I was talking about the economics of it and why it works that way. So you think that's all right or something? No, I don't think it's all right. I think show business is, to a large extent, an amoral hellhole. It's a shallow money trench, like Hunter Thompson said, where good men go to die and good women go to get molested and the rest of it. It's it's, 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 it's the whole glitter, glamour, showbiz thing is such a lie. I mean, there are aspects of it that are cool and fun and and creative. It's really cool to be involved in some aspects of it, I won't lie to you, but it's you just you got to know what you're walking into.
2: Somebody just texted in a few weeks ago, weren't we mourning the death of Hugh Hefner, the great man? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you were calling him out for being a perv.
2: Which you know. How much Harvey Weinsteining went on in his life? Where it was, you know, even several degrees further down the road of this is obviously how you get ahead in the business. I just hope no young woman
1: walked into his office thinking that, you know, it would be entirely professional.
2: I I hope nobody was that naive. Because in that and case that's
1: not excusing
2: it. Because in that case it's not the got a thousand pretty girls that can act. I don't you don't even need to act. I got a million pretty girls. Why am I choosing you? Right. Is the way Hugh Hefner operated, I'm sure. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? We have
3: a historic opioid drug bust just being announced this morning. Another western state announces a third gender option and why you should feed your kids blueberries. Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty.
1: Isn't it a little odd that there's a big opioid bust today?
2: A couple of days after the 60 Minutes story? Yeah, I'd say. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> Military analyst Mike Lyons on uh, the whole Middle Eastern situation. By the way, I didn't want to leave this out. Uh, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, child stars in the 80s, both say they were given drugs and passed around by male higher-ups in Hollywood.
1: Enormous amount of pedophilia and child rape in Hollywood.
2: And yet a movie like La La Land did, briefly, win the picture for Best Motion Picture because that whole dreams come true, you just get off a bus and become a star thing. You know, there wasn't a lot of rape or molestation in that movie. They still make that story up for some reason. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, the
3: Justice Department is saying grand juries have just indicted two Chinese drug traffickers for their activities in the U.S., Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein saying For the first time, we have indicted major Chinese fentanyl traffickers who have been using the Internet to transport fentanyl and fentanyl analogs to drug traffickers and to individual customers. Fentanyl, which has caused thousands of American deaths this year alone.
2: Now, this isn't the big drug company's opioid thing from 60 Minutes, but still, I'm a little suspicious that a good news government cracking down on this story a couple of days after that, it's just, I don't know. What do you think? Fishy?
1: I don't know. Hard to say. It's been a huge problem. I'm sure they've been working on it. Hard to say.
3: Yeah, the DOJ has uh, been struggling to prevent the synthetic drug from getting into the U.S., a lot of Americans buy the substance from Chinese companies online and have it shipped to their homes. That's, uh, that's hard to get a hold of a lot of times. President Trump's nominee to be the nation's drug czar withdrawing from consideration for the jobs move follows reports by the Washington Post and 60 Minutes that Republican Representative Tom Marino played a key role in passing a bill that weakened the federal government's authority to stop companies from distributing opioids. President Trump telling Fox News this morning, he told me, look, if there's even a perception that he has a conflict of interest with insurance companies, essentially. But if there's even a perception that he has a conflict of interest, he doesn't want anything to do with it. So he's stepped aside. Well, there's a perception. Yes. (laughs) And it's not insurance companies. It's pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Governor Jerry Brown has signed a measure allowing Californians to identify their gender as non binary on driver's licenses if they don't identify as solely male or female.
2: Wow. So you're a cop and you pull somebody over and there's no gender to go on to right. figure out if it's their ID or not. Right. Other huh. Wow. More of an APP on a non binary individual. <laughs> right. That seems very hard to forty three
1: year old non binary. Yeah, I don't know. It's just frantic virtue signaling.
3: California joining Oregon. Oregon. it's just
1: a government record. We just got to know what kind of junk you have. Why? I
3: don't know. Just do. California joining Oregon and allowing a gender-neutral option on driver's licenses and state ID cards. What does this solve is my question. Um, the, the terrible internal conflict somebody who are has
2: driving around. People are triggered when they go to the DMV and have to check the M or F box. When and they, they don't feel, feel like, like neither. Yeah.
3: Here's a good reason to feed your kids some blueberries. There was a study that uh, determined the blueberries helped boost a child's reaction times by almost 10%. Wow. British researchers analyzed kids between the ages of 7 and 10 who had their cognitive ability tested before and
2: after consuming the blueberries. How many blueberries? I mean, my kids might be uh, quicker-witted, but they're going to be on the pot. They used an ounce of freeze-dried blueberry powder. Mm. So I don't know how That's you
3: tough. break that. Choke it down, kids. Choke know how it you down. Break that down.
1: You <laughs> got to increase their reactions, uh, Marshall. So that a, a <laughs> game of Think Fast goes to a higher level.
3: The uh, results of consuming the blueberry powder with a lot of increased mental reaction time. So there you go. Blueberries can't hurt. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the Voice of the West. Thought that blueberries help lower blood pressure too. It's a fine berry. It's the wonder berry. It is.
2: It's no acai berry, but it's a good berry. <laughs> I'm not even convinced that's an actual berry. I got blueberry as a top three berry, uh, second right behind rasp and right before black. <laughs> You don't have straw up there? You got rasp and black? You know what? i got to reinvent my (laughs) my (laughs) rankings. Really? Yes. (laughs) An oversight missing the straw. That's a a classic. (laughs) Straw's a popular (laughs) barrel. Nice job, Michael. Indeed. We'll talk with our middle military analyst. Uh, Trump says we're going to stay out of this latest one between the Iraqis and the Kurds. So we're going to let uh,
1: the Kurds force overrun our ally. Okay, that's staying out great.
2: Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. On I was
3: told that he didn't often, and a lot of presidents don't. They write letters. I do, excuse me, Peter, I do a combination of both.
2: So, that was part of Whatever. Trump's press conference yesterday where he said other presidents don't call families of That's fallen That's what he was
1: soldiers. told, yeah, by the mysterious they. That Whatever. was kind of weird.
2: Anyway, part of that press conference was also uh, Trump saying we're not taking sides in the uh, Iraqi versus Kurds thing. Of course, it's more complicated than that in that it seems to be the Iraqis with the Iranians versus the Kurds. CBS
1: military analyst Mike Lyons joins us. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, guys, great to be back with you. So, listen, I'm enormously conflicted on this one. The idea of abandoning our staunch allies, the Kurds, to the mercies of the Iranians is nightmarish to me. At the same time, to jump into it on their side would open up a a multi-sided conflict. What are your thoughts on it?
4: Yeah, it's awful, and it's it was predictable. There should have been a diplomatic solution that was in place well before now. It uh, doesn't show any foresight from our State Department to recognize that this was going to be the case. But when you have Iraqi M1 tanks rolling into Kirkuk, uh, creating havoc, you know, making a military situation out of that, it is a total failure of U.S foreign policy I mean here's um, a region that Saddam Hussein allowed its own autonomy to recognize that it wasn't worth fighting for and the fact that the United States has supported them since going back to the 1990s and the first Gulf War and everything that's, that's happened since then. So big failure on the part of the State Department not to see over the horizon and recognize this could have happened. And we should have put something in place to make sure there was no violence whatsoever there.
1: Well, in State Departments going back years, I mean, we mentioned yesterday Liz Sly in the Washington Post wrote a piece almost exactly 13 months ago, the 10 wars that could erupt from the current Syrian war. And, and yeah. one of them, well, like four of them, were the Kurds versus various people. So it was obvious yeah. to everyone.
4: Yeah, guys, we've talked about it before on your show that this is the next uh, hot spot in the Middle East. It's a tinderbox. This... Vision of Kurdistan, similar to what Israel did after the Second World War it wants a homeland. thirty million indigenous people want to call someplace their home they they 're in Kirkuk they have natural resources they have a military that can support them it 's the definition of a country they can export natural resources and all those things so I think what happened was uh, was terrible and I think it 'll be a black mark against this administration if it doesn 't get changed now let's let 's kind of look over to what happened in Raqqa you had Kurdish forces lead that city perhaps that's the future of Kurdistan perhaps Syria gets carved up but I still think there's a fight that's going to happen inside of Iraq and it's going to be very bloody
2: well so what do you think we should do now should the president have come down yesterday that we're on the side of the Kurds or what what should he say
4: well, he should have come down and said, uh, we've got to get in the middle of this and fix this problem. Uh, and it's all about the Iranian influence on the current Iraqi government. And we've got to talk to Iraq and we've got to tell them to back off. We've got to perhaps use the, an Israeli solution and that's restore the boundary to you know 1993 when Saddam Hussein allowed the Kurds this autonomy that they had in the northern part of Iraq and allowed them uh, to live uh, in peace. They had their own militia back then at the time. It was They weren't Tremendous weapons. They they took weapons that the Iraqi government rejected and basically made a fight out of them as well. So, I think again, this was all foreseeable, should have had happened. Not sure why um, the State Department is. A lot of it just has to do with just a lot of those professionals have left, and no one's looking over the horizon right now.
1: Well, if you ever believe in the UN getting together and holding some sort of giant international conference to decide something, this is it. Because we can't, you know, decide for the region and then have the Turks. Go crazy because go they've got extremely uneasy relations with the Kurdish people, and, yeah. and so I, I don't know. This, this, I think we need to call the mother of all negotiations together and and give these people a homeland.
4: Yeah, they're they're gonna. The Turks will roll tanks uh, into Bas uh, Mos- Mosul and other uh, cities in the northern part of Iraq. Here, um, the Iranians have um, of Kurds inside their boundaries as well, but they seem to. Have this, you know, kind of a roar to them that just, you know, they kind of keep their hands clean, although they send their, their, their version of the Republican guards, their, their... They're special fighters to assist the Iraqi government here at this point. But um, I think Syria might be the solution of where the Kurds have to create their own homeland. Now, they don't have those natural resources. What the Iraqi government wants, this is all about money, the Iraqi government wants those oil fields that exist in the northern part of of Iraq there. um, They want to bring them into their country. They want to use those resources. So this is a, a lot of ways about the treasure that the, uh, the that the Kurds have that uh, that again allows them to be a, a country if they decide to go that route.
1: Just like virtually all wars, Mike Lyon, CBS military analyst, is on the line.
2: God, what a mess!
1: And yeah. and you know it bears mentioning. Certainly, uh, I w- I was watching one of your news shows last night, and various Kurdish guys were saying, "We will never let the Shiite filth infect yeah. our cities." I mean, the sectarian hatred in the Middle East is just it's just awful.
4: Yeah, and 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 with the not ever forget that the Kurds are fighters. These people are going to fight to the last person. I'm trying to find a, an analogy in history, uh, but but they they are not just going to give up easy. This is not going to be oh, okay. Oh well, this is uh, this is how it's going to go. Um, so that you know, again, Saddam allowed them that breathing room. Recognize it wasn't worth the fight, um, and and it will be shameful if it takes U.S. technology, U.S. weapon systems to go in and kill. Kurds, I think that you're, again, just just awful to think to think that about it. And again, it gets back to Vietnam. It gets back to us being on the wrong side. You know, we should be looking for countries that want their independence. We should try to find a solution for these people. But uh, we're just not even close to even starting that conversation.
2: Well, and I, I don't understand. Well, uh, the whole thing is so confusing. There is no good answer, is there? As Joe's been saying throughout the morning, there's no good answer to this thing. It's a series of miserable yeah. choices. But how long are the it, Kurds going to remain being our friends? We've let them down so many times. At some point, they, don't they just turn into an enemy of the United States, like everybody else around there?
4: Well, that—that's you know, then. Then how can they reach out and get, and get back to us? It's just that they'll—they'll they'll remember when the time comes it's just a classic scenario of you know three groups of people fighting over two groups of land or two groups of people fighting over one group of land and um it, it, unfortunately uh, probably another civil war has to take place there and it just gets back to what side are we going to be on are we going to use diplomacy use the united nations what's going to what's going to intervene there but there's just so much other f- chaos and fog going on in the world right now you've got north korea you've got other things this was so predictable guys we've been talking about this for two years this this thing called for the battle for kurdistan and it's happening in front of our eyes and it's not even getting any kind of press and any kind of notoriety
1: mike Lyons, cbs military analyst thanks mike we appreciate the clarity <laughs> if if not uh, you know cheerfulness because well there's no cheerful side to this what are you gonna yeah. do thanks mike yeah. thanks a million
2: so this is, so I hadn't even heard anybody bring that up, but that's obviously true. So if you'd have had like a Ronald Reagan, James Baker type of White House thing going on, um, people would have been coming up with a solution to this before they started sh- firing shots. we got to work something out. Right. Years ahead of time as opposed yeah, to just literally continuing Literally years.
1: I mean, just blame the Trump administration is, is barely half the answer. Yeah.
2: It's just like it was
1: so freaking obvious. We were we you and I were talking about this more than a year ago That obviously the Kurds are gonna want their independence or at least as much independence as they had under Saddam But everybody's in the midst of a giant land and oil grab and and Turkey's not gonna put up with it The Syrians the Iraqis the, the Iranians were running Iraq the rest of it and and There should have been a giant international
2: conference the President saying other presidents didn 't call the families of fallen soldiers is uh, getting a fair amount of attention we We talked about that earlier, maybe we should that uh, yeah, was just dumb. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty show.